0: So let's start. Uh, First of all, Alan, thank you for the invitation. And yes, it's very early here in Colombia. It's about 6 a.m. in the morning, but here to support APTN, of course. So just a brief, uh, I'm Juan Pablo Rojas from Santos Dumont. I'm based in Latin America. I'm the technical and commercial director here. I'm in charge of all the region. Uh, regarding uh, lessors and operators. And we have uh, multiple uh, service offering uh, based in two main factors, technical and commercial. And we're basically working uh, at the moment with projects on the re-delivery side from the lessors and also from the operators. We have worked in projects in Mexico, in Salvador, in Guatemala, in Chile, in Brazil, in Peru, in Colombia, of course, in Panama, and we have like uh, all the coverage in the Latin region. So I just wanted to start uh, with the aircraft delivery. How is going in the region with the COVID-19? Of course, everyone is really aware of the impact that, that within the region. Uh, you have noticed that uh, three of the major players here in the Latin America um, market have. They filed for chapter 11 that includes Avianca Latam and Aro Mexico so it's a huge effort from the governments and from the uh, investors and also the private equities and everyone to keep on going with this uh, with these uh, companies so it's basically a huge, uh, very very difficult times at the moment so i just wanted to start with what is the aircraft re-delivery for la- lessors in la- Latin America, pre-COVID-19. For, for pre-COVID-19, airlines and lessors re-deliveries were scheduled and followed the schedule as per the initial planning and previously agreed between the meetings for the lesser and the lessee or the operator. Uh, they had this budget and cash flow for the redelivery process. That's very important. They had all the the the... the cash flow uh, focused on, on this process. The resources and the representatives were allocated with without movement restrictions, as far as you are concerned. Now it's very difficult, the movement in Latin America, especially, for example, in my country where there is no air travel at all. The access to the aircraft for physical inspections and records was granted and it was running smoothly, no major issues there. And uh, of course, uh, the next lessee, after the aircraft was going to be re-delivered, was interested on the aircraft and receiving the aircraft because it had like potentially uh, uh, an operation uh, plan for for this aircraft that they were supposed to receive from the the previous operator. Now in the COVID-19, we have faced an impact on the manpower supporting the re-deliveries uh, there is limited on our no existing budget or cash flow for the re-delivery. That's because, of course, you know that the companies have been very uh, financially impacted because of the of the cease of operations. There is a request of deferrals of the re-delivery and terms in the, uh, and the amendments uh, for the for the um, for the payments. Of course, there is limited access and support from the operators to the lessors. Why? Because they are trying to keep up with all the lessors requirements. So it's very difficult to keep up uh, if you are an operator. And the next, let's see an operator calling off future deals. They are calling off future deals. Why? Because they are not interested on in receiving aircraft. The plans have changed and they don't have perhaps the budget to receive these aircraft. And uh, there is a lot of aircraft that are going through uh, checks, re-delivery checks, uh, we are waiting on preservation, there is a lack of component of supplies, everything, of course, depending on the financials of the, of the operators itself. And the regional market experienced major players filling for Chapter 11. You know that it's important to recall that the three major players, Avianca, Latam, and our Mexico, uh, filed for Chapter 11, so that's a huge impact in the market here in the region. Okay, from the lesser's perspective, uh, the key points for an aircraft re-delivery, if we understand that everything is going to be uh, ahead of COVID, it will be that we have to take into account the project initiation, including the supply of a team of highly experienced professionals to support the project. We need, of course, physical inspections of the aircraft to ensure the aircraft is in a re-delivery condition and also to keep in mind whatever is going to be a shortfall at the time of the re- de- re-delivery. A detailed review of the lease agreement to identify technical and commercial obligations, including re-delivery and delivery conditions. Uh, that's very important to go through the contract and to know the contract. The scope, uh, review definition and the MRO selection uh, to include everything that is going to be and needs to be in the scope. It's very important to meet the redelivery conditions. Uh, Detailed records review and preparation for the redelivery, and of course, that comes with the preparation from the from the lessee or the operator. And and it has to bring a lot of uh, the findings and normal snacks that happen uh, during this process. The communication, screening information consistency and risk mitigation. We need to know which is going to be and uh, uh, very critical pace items or critical pace items during the re-deliveries. The review of historical records condition and their storage, a key factor for the re-delivery. Maintenance status setup up on their respective historical and current active records and supporting documentation, whatever the operator has done with the aircraft. Of course, it has to be supported. And um, the risk mitigation and compliance, what I discussed uh, above and additional tasks to complete with re-delivery conditions that have to be, of course, uh, added to the World Scope review definition and, and to be included in the in the final uh, World Scope, as I said. Uh, the moment we have faced, because of COVID-19 impact, uh, additional aspects to be considered. We know that they, we have to um, take into account the preservation of the aircraft. Why? Because they are grounded at the moment. Those aircraft those aircraft are not flying, so it's very important to take into account and the preservation. The major components of an aircraft located in multiple locations from the LSE, that means that, for example, one engine from a lesser is located in another aircraft, and perhaps the landing gear are major components, so it's important to know where, where your components are, and because of the restrictions, it's very important to complete the aircraft as per the, as per the lease agreement. Uh, the access to physical inspections and records review is limited. I talked about this because of course, you know, the manpower of the operators have decreased when they are sending people and, uh, and, and employees to permanent or, or leave. So it's very important to consider this. They have a lot of issues to go through at the moment. And of course, it's very limited. And the lack of communications between the lease, the lessee, and the lessor. And we understand that the, that the operators are currently in the position of trying to get a, as much as possible attention to all the, the suppliers, including the lessors, but it's kind of difficult with the manpower restriction. And the re-delivery re- plan discussion between the Lessee and lessor to review the contractual obligations. This is happening because. At the moment, they are asking, as I said, for deferrals or perhaps MR deferrals as well. So it has to be considered nowadays with the COVID-19 situation. That means, for example, the MR payments and these rate payments that are going to be discussed and will be placed on top of the table uh, to be discussed. The request from the operators to defer payments, we have seen that this this has happened. And also we have seen and that the lease agreements have been changed, perhaps to PBH um, agreements, where every aircraft flying will be paying um, the, the rate, and the, the aircraft that will be grounded, or are grounded at the moment, will, won't be paying at all. They will be paying only maintenance reserves. We have seen that a lot, and that has a huge impact on the re-delivery side from the from the perspective. Now from the operator's perspective, um, we have seen that most important the uh, management alliance with the lesser and the representatives is very important to have a very close connection uh, between both parties. A cost-effective project in the line with the proposed budget and always seeking improvement opportunities, we need to see from the operator's side, what are the shortfalls, of course, and what can be done uh, by the operator and, uh, of course, uh, willing to have an effective project, and, of course, uh, targeting budget. and Negotiations with the lesser in, during the re-delivery process, so we, we need to be very proactive on how we make the negotiations with them because there are many factors, or many issues and findings that can be closed uh, because of negotiations. Uh, management of the lessors and the representatives during the lesser records review and physical inspection of the aircraft. Uh, you have to be uh, head-to-head with them, actually. You have to be uh, very cautious on how your relationship with the lesser is. It's very important to have a very good relationship for the uh, for the project. The preparation of the aircraft and aircraft records, and uh, sometimes we we'll leave this behind. Uh, normally, we suggest um, three-month to six-month, period depending on many uh, scenarios, basically the age of the aircraft to prepare the aircraft for redelivery. Most times the operators are not prepared to do this. And um, maintaining a status and continuous review of the over and above an additional work request during the redelivery check. That means that you have to make, um, pay close attention to the MRO and how they are working, performing, because of course the operator needs to know and needs to, to, to have a clear idea where the, the, the status of the aircraft is regarding maintenance and components, and of course, overall uh, of the of re delivery check. A project plan preparation and work scope verification for each aircraft that uh, works, of course, on the delivery conditions and whatever uh, is agreed between the lessor and the lessee in the lease agreement. Uh, daily MRO management, the snacks management, and team performance. Uh, very close look, look up with the MRO and with your team on how they are performing, closing issues, and how the, the, the maintenance is undergoing on the MRO. In-house practices to support the re-delivering the best condition, the best cost-effective scenario possible. It's important <clears throat> to understand that sometimes the snacks can be closed by the operator itself and avoid uh, future findings from the, from the lesser. Identify and control the pacing items on each project to avoid delays. Sometimes we believe that um, uh, some of the findings that are called in the beginning of the project are not going to affect or impact the schedule of the re-delivery and it's very important to keep those in mind because at the end you will uh, have eventually a delay on the re-delivery and of course a delay means um, Cost the redelivery exceptions. It's very important if you are um, if you are aware that you are not going to meet any requirement from the from the lease perspective. It's better to have the reconciliation out front. It depends, of course, what is going to happen during the check. But it's important to have the exceptions ready and to be discussed with the with the lesser. That comes with the with the with the with the one that is buyout commercial negotiations if we need to do and we need to proceed to. Um, the management of the final re-delivery activities, that means the demo flight, the ferry flight, crew, uh, whatever is, is required for the technical acceptance to be signed. The commercial reconciliation, MR fund, and of lease adjustments if required, and uh, that's part of the negotiation. And it's all based in a strong working relationship with a major lessors understanding what their expectations, what are the practices that they are um, commonly using for the re-deliveries of the aircraft. And of course, having an experienced team and operating this sector with the ability to meet targets on a schedule, it's basically going to do it. And it's going to, to be the, the best way to approach this type of, of, of projects. I know that it's uh, very demanding, And every project is different, but we need to focus on trying to understand the lesser and being friendly with them instead of being like a counterpart where they are not um, included as a counterpart. They should be considered like a very close friend, of course, and meeting uh, regulations and meeting the the list itself. So that's basically it.
1: Okay, that's 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 a very good overview. Thank you very much, uh, uh, Juan Pablo, for for, for that. So we we'll hold off the questions until after the uh, presentation from Cliff on new aircraft deliveries, if you don't mind. If you have some questions, I see some coming up there on the the group chat. The guys can can have a look at those and and uh, be prepared for after the next presentation. So, Cliff, if you're good to go,
2: Yep, yeah, sure. So firstly, thanks for all you guys joining us. I'm glad you're all well and healthy and fit and hope all your families are as well. And uh, it, it's, it's really nice to see online so many good friends and so many people I've worked with in the past and that. So hi to Steve, Dan, Kevin, Aviation Royalty like Mr. Morgan and uh, Ian and Tom, it's good to see you as well. So what I'm going to talk about is the easier side of aviation deliveries, which is new aircraft. Juan um, Pablo, well, Pablo has talked about the difficult bits of taking aircraft out of used aircraft. The, the new aircraft are much simpler, much cleaner, but you still have risks. You still need to be vigilant. You still need to ensure that your getting what you've paid for, especially when you're looking at the capital sums involved now with some of the new aircraft. So in this presentation, I I focused on uh, primarily on Airbus and what happens more locally to us in Europe here, down in sunny Toulouse and Hamburg. And and I've done that because I, I think Airbus has the most mature process driven and easiest way of accepting and inspecting aircraft i think as you came come down the pecking order of manufacturers i think you probably come down to boeing and then you come down to bombardier with the with the what we used to call the c series and now the a220 and the q400s and then further down the degree of difficulty and and the amount of resourcing you need to do for new aircraft, maybe ATR and, and, and maybe Embraer. Comac and MRJs, obviously, I don't have any experience of those. And I think it'll be because the Comac will be so um, China centric, I don't think that many of us are going to get involved with doing deliveries of new aircraft in, in from Comac. Um, so, what, what I'm going to do is I'm going to just run through some of the basics that we we need to be aware of when we're looking at aircraft. New aircraft, it's your, as your lessor, it's, it's your first datum of what the asset is going into your asset management cycle. So you wanna look at really what you're taking delivery of, all your serialized components, the spec of the aircraft, the mods that have been incorporated, the AD status as at delivery, across the airframe the engines and the accessories and then obviously that puts you in a good position for the honeymoon period which you have when the aircraft goes into a lessee and is operated for a couple of years and then you go into your mid-lease inspections depending on the risk and then you're looking at you know least term do pre you know re-delivery inspections six months or a year before the re-delivery and then your final re-delivery inspections which which um one Pablo has so eloquently told us how to do um, and explain some of the issues. So new aircraft delivery for a lessor is, is an important building block on the, where you manage your assets going forward. For the airline, it's very similar as well, except for them, it's, it's the building blocks for them loading it into their camo and then managing the aircraft ongoing and the applicability of subsequent service bulletins, ADs, engineering orders and, and the like. So, so it's a foundation block of looking after that asset for the rest of its life. Talking about the objects, objectives of why we do it, and that it's, it's important that we ensure that the build quality meets the required standards that we're happy with. And that's, that's our biggest issue with, with new aircraft builds. Contractually, we've got to make sure that we're getting all our MSCNs and, and uh, change notices in, of um, and we're getting all our modifications into the aircraft that, that we've paid for and is part of our purchase agreement. We've got to ensure the aircraft is acceptable for the next lessee. And typically, we've got to make sure the aircraft is at a better standard than that which the, the lessee will accept so that there's no gap between lessor acceptance and lessee acceptance if you don't delegate if a lessor doesn't delegate all the acceptance process to the lessee. And we've got to make sure the aircraft's going to meet the next National Airworthiness Authority acceptance criteria, wherever that is in the world, whether it's EAS or FAA or, or, or CAAC. So we, we have, we have some, um, some work to do there, on, and, and that, but that's what our objectives are, is to manage that risk. We've got to look at, protecting our asset value. So manufacturing is still a mandraulic manual activity and we're still getting a lot of man handles on the aircraft. We're still getting a lot of damage. We're still getting a lot of issues with the aircraft that we need to look at. So, you know, the aim of it is to to protect your asset value. We need to do that because it's not a, a automated, cookie cutter process every aircraft is different as the aircraft come down the production line there's more and more ads and sbs being added and and there's more and more spec changes to the aircraft and there's more and more risk of accidental damage to the aircraft the aim of it as well is to is to reduce the the costs that you're going to incur after delivery and you've got to look at you know When you're doing this, you've got to look at, you know, having a structured uh, process of inspection of the aircraft assemblies so that you're you're minimising your work content. The manufacturers have fantastic processes and documentation sets guiding you as to what the limits are, where you've got to be at what time. And And you've got to match those with your reporting to the manufacturers so that any issues you find on the aircraft are getting reported to them. You've got to spend some time looking at what you're going to inspect on the aircraft. The checklist you're going to provide. You've got to make it easy for yourself to do your job and then communicate it to Boeing or Airbus or ATR as to what you're finding. I think if I this, if we just look at where we what we're going to focus on on this chat is, you, you're going to get into um oh, cool and school.
3: Let me go back one. Bye. Well,
2: you're going to look at where you are with your purchase agreements. You're going to look at a design freeze as to what your aircraft spec is going to be, what galleys, what toilets, who's supplying the the buyer furnished equipment, who's supplying the seller furnished equipment, what Airbus are going to provide and put on the aircraft. And then the aircraft's going to go into manufacturing. And what we're going to focus on today is and it's the last three elements of that six phases there, which is the handover and the, and the final delivery of the aircraft, transfer of title and acceptance and inspections that the lessee is going to do, and then the ferry flight. And with aircraft, you, could, you can leave everything to the last minute and just have a, a mad week. And uh, go in at the last moment and look at a finally assembled aircraft, a complete holistic lump. Do all the ground checks and functions, you know, and you go with a heavy team. You can go and do that and, and then, you know, ferry fly the aircraft out of there. But my strong recommendation is that yeah, you're looking at the aircraft as it goes down the final assembly line and, and then you're looking at the the constituent parts as the aircraft is put together. So much of it is recessed, and within the internal structure of the aircraft, you're you're going to be looking for defects and snags and and issues that you want corrected and and items that your next lessee is not going to reject the aircraft for, as well as for extended warranties and potentially financial compensations from the manufacturer if they can't rectify them and put them right, if they're fundamental items that we've got to live with going forward. So this is the 17 primary activities that the Airbus are to and the first part is a parallel item of contractual and then then physical with the aircraft and we're going to focus on the manufacturing element and delivery element today. And then obviously there is a first part which is um, the manufacturing of the assemblies and which we call the major constituent assemblies. Then there's the final assembly line. Um, And my recommendation has always been to lessors is not to spend time chasing um, major constituent assemblies, but to focus on what's happening in the final assembly line. So much can happen to a a, a stabilizer when it's shipped up from Spain, from Gaddafi up to Toulouse, or a wing set coming down from Bremen and and um that you know, you want to see it when it's going to be installed on your aircraft so my my big recommendation is that we always look at what's going on uh, on the foul on the final assembly line the major constituent assemblies it you, you when you go into the manufacturer they will give you a in, in your purchase agreement you'll have options of what inspections you can do and, and it may be now, if you went into Airbus to buy aircraft, now you might be able to negotiate that they pay for all your inspections you're going to do. Um, they may, I, you know, it's a different world we're in post-COVID now when you're buying aircraft. And if you've got cash, you're, you're in, a, in an unprecedented position now with the manufacturers. Or if you're renegotiating your delivery slots with the manufacturers, there, there is untold things that you can negotiate. So this, this is an example on an A330. So the major constituent assemblies are, are built all around Spain, France, Germany, and, and, and some the smaller elements in Italy and, and the UK. But you can spend all your time racing around looking at these sections and sub-assemblies of the aircraft, but for me, there's a diminishing rate of return, the risk of what you're going to find there and the corrective actions and that are not going to be worth you doing it. But in your options, when you start off your program, always select that you have the right to go and do these inspections. It's an email invitation, and it's an email polite decline, but always have the options to look at the major constituent assemblies. If you further down the line get issues with quality on some of the bits which are delivered to the final assembly line and you want to go upstream to see where they're being made and what the issue is further upstream, then, then that's the only option you're going to have to do it is if you've ticked those boxes to say that you would like the right to go and see those major constituent assemblies. Foul inspections are the most important thing that you're ever gonna do. So this is where the aircraft starts, major sections of fuselage start getting uh, nailed together. Wings, tail planes, flight controls, everything starts being installed on the aircraft, gears, engines. So your foul inspections are the most important thing. you do. Typically on an A330 and an A320 or 321, you're going to have a series of 22 inspections which you'll be invited to attend by the OEM. The, the, the OEM um, will work with you in, in partnership with you to find the best time to do it, depending on where they are with the industrial planning and the sequencing of, the, of where the different sections of the aircraft are coming together. But be, be aware if you, if they could ask you to start doing these inspections overnight you could end up going in at two or three o'clock in the morning to look at sections. Um, and and I don't get on the wrong side of your, your customer manager because he will schedule those inspections in the middle of the night for you if, uh, if, you, if you start going down the wrong path of the relationship. So there's a balance there in a the relationship that you've got with the OEM of being firm but fair, looking at their standards of what you they are uh, producing the aircraft to under part 21 regulations and looking at how you're gonna maintain the aircraft to the AMM and SRM and to the uh, to part 145 standards after the aircraft's manufactured. It, the OEM will play that part 21 card quite a lot and it will say no, our standards during manufacture are this and the standards in the SRM and AMM may be far different. So be vigilant of those and, and make sure that you get to grips with the standards that the OEM should be working to. So I think you, you, they, they, the manufacturers have a very structured thing of, of what inspections are gonna happen when. You have a start, meet, a start meeting for each aircraft that's coming down the final assembly line. The most important aircraft you're gonna look at is the first aircraft, which is called the HOL aircraft, the head of line aircraft and you, that's, the, that's your cookie cutter, if you like, as best as you can to, as to what the standard of aircraft is going to look like when you get it. It's important you spend a lot of time and a lot of effort on that first aircraft to so make sure that it looks like the right thing, and it makes sure that all the BFE, the seats, the galleys, the carpets, all the soft furnishing, cosmetic things are, are to the right standard. A lot of what we end up arguing with OEMs on is the aesthetic items, not the engineering items. Not they, they, Yes, you get wire locking and fasteners that are incorrect and, and things like that. They, they can fix those, and those are not usually the argued points. They're either wrong or they're right. Uh, they're either in limits or out of limits, but the aesthetics and cosmetic things that you really need to gear up for those and make sure you're ready for the arguments on. So your HOL aircraft, your, your head of line, is an important aircraft to date what your expectations are to the OEM and to get your process sheets right as to what you're looking at and what you're functioning and what you're testing on the aircraft. So your foul is, is is an interesting time. The records on new aircraft don't tend to require a lot of auditing and 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 uh, don't tend to require a lot of time and effort. It's um, the, the, the AD status, the SB status, the you know part number, uh, serial number on the hard times. Yes, you're going to validate those, but they're usually clean. There's no back to birth. There's no supplemental supersedes that you're really gonna be panicking. It's, it's very cleanly presented to you. It's very easy to, to accept and to, to see how they're gonna to go to you know, get the form 52 issued for the aircraft, um, to get the aircraft certified. So a lot of what you're gonna be doing in, the, in, a, in a new aircraft delivery is 90% of it is gonna be around the physicality of the aircraft and the physical condition of the aircraft. We, the start of the, after the foul, the aircraft and the final assembly, when you've got a complete aircraft together, the aircraft will go to flight line. And at that time, it's when Airbus will put the aircraft through a number of operational functions, and checks. The, a lot of that is you're excluded from that. The same with Boeing. They want their week with the aircraft to go Through everything and um, to make sure the aircraft's good before then it it goes into delivery. So they'll do all their functions, all their checks, all their reworks of everything before it gets to you. The, the, The strong thing on that is you have to kind of monitor the aircraft by remote. You have to go and drive around and find your aircraft and see what it's doing today and then you have to look at the CIS system or Airbus World system to which is the main portal for all the data on the aircraft to see what they've done and what they haven't done. So you can see whether or not engines have been run, you can see if it's done test flights and things like that before it's presented to you for acceptance. And yes, we've had aircraft presented to us for acceptance which we are not ready. And I've got a number of defects on, but Airbus has tried to, push those aircraft onto us to accept and we've had to say no hang on a minute you know take it back to the flight line get it fixed and then we you know are ready to do the the acceptable functions on it. Typical acceptance during that hell week which is when you're probably working 18 hours a day because Airbus will have shifts of people working and so does Boeing um, and they're all fresh and Ready to go, and it's you guys there, you and your team there, and being run ragged and starting early in the morning and late at night, and even working through the night on some items because there's a lot of functioning and checking to do. Defects found, and then you rectification action. You have to be there for that rectification action. So it's not just a question of finding the defect and then and and then you know just saying okay yes fine you've given me a, a, a sign off to say you fixed it. You've got to be to see there to see how they check it's fixed and make sure that you know you're it's acceptable to you my always my recommendations is make sure you've got a good avionics specialist there i think you know switched on pilots line pilots are not the best guys to 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 accept aircraft if you can get a pilot there that's happy with engine runs looking at parameters doing all the flight deck tests there's a whole day of flight deck tests to do, APU running, engine running, and that. And um, I, my recommendation is to get the pilots and flight crew to do that. It makes the airline ready for accepting it, or the, the lessee ready for accepting the aircraft. And the engineers can um and ah, but if it's good for the pilots, then the engineers tend to follow line. They're, they're all worried about that final block in that phase of six, which is the ferry flight out of there. They want the pilots to accept it usually. If the pilots say, "Yep, yeah, it's running; it's still, everything's functioning," they're they're happy. You need a good structural specialist. Aircraft do pick up some dents and bumps along the way the manufacturing line, and you do need to put together a good dent and buckle on the aircraft starting at manufacture. Don't you? You have to record those at manufacture because they affect your warranties. So you want it all recorded what you've got on your aircraft during manufacture because especially now with with the boeing lovs and and the cost for doing those and extended service goals on the airbus aircraft you know what, what damage was there and pre-existing drives your costs for getting those aircraft certified for flying longer times you know past their original design goals so you need to start a dating with good dmb produced by the manufacturer um, the acceptance flight and test flight obviously get the pilots on there you need to have a couple of guys in the back of the aircraft functioning all the seats the ife galley equipment the lights and uh, the calls everything that that may be an issue in flight with wheels up that's not you know that functions fine on the ground that may not function in the air so you need to have a good team of guys in the back and, and and a good pilot in the the flight deck flying with the Airbus or Boeing guys. So the aircraft is fully demonstrated, you're happy with what's going on. The handover to the National Airworthiness Authority is is pretty simple. I've never found an issue with the National Airworthiness Authority um, accepting an aircraft. Frequently they'll delegate it to the airline to accept it and the airline quality manager Sometimes the NAAs want to come and want a day out in Toulouse and a night out in Toulouse and a good dinner and some, you know, some uh, good wine or, and, um, and, and then, you know, they, they tend to be compliant. Um, but the, all your defects, all the issues you find during the aircraft, final assembly line and in that delivery week, you've got to document for your transfer of title. You've got to record those and you've got to be analogue annotated in your in your acceptance certificate for the air, for the aircraft as I said here the Airbus and, and bo have a customer acceptance manual and um, and, and they they, they document um, very clearly what tests you will do or are allowed to do and and how you will look at the aircraft there is some leeway in that and some modification and it's, um, they don't script how you're going to test the first-class seat and all the um, bells and whistles electrics and electrics uh, that go in some of the first-class and business-class seats now, um, and some of the IFE, it's down for you to do that and for you to define how you're going to test that and, and what you're going to test um so you know you you the customer acceptance manual is the basis from which you work and then you'll build up your own process sheets for doing that and you and, and and educate your own team as to how to function those and check those i'm going to move on a bit my recommendations and best practices from from what i've seen um you know I was in Toulouse for a year. It was one of the best years of my life. I have to confess <laughs> it was um, it, it it was hard work and we did fourteen aircraft in a in a seven month period of deliveries and it gets very, very busy around December and that when Airbus is trying to push all the aircraft out and get them all delivered before the end of the year, so their numbers look good but so my recommendations, based on my experience of what we've seen there, and I think a lot of this will read across to accepting aircraft in other jurisdictions, always opt to accomplish the um, major constituent assembly inspection. It's an, e- an invite, an email invite to turn up at a location to look at an assembly. And, and, you know, and it's a polite email to say, guys, I'm not going to make it this time. Let me know if there's any issues or any snags but you've always got that right to be able to go and look at those major constituent assemblies. We had issues with horizontal stabilizers coming out of Catafi out of Spain because the Airbus Spain strike and uh, a lot of the stabilizers were stored and, and left out in the uh, in the rain and, um, and we had some issues there. But so, so we had to go to Catafi and look at what was going on there and look at how they were correcting those and what they were doing um my recommendation is you, you know if wherever you are you know try and get a native speaking guy on your team try and get that cultural relationship right with the oem be it american be it be it, be it french be it you know colombian be it brazilian be it whatever you you make sure you try and get somebody on your team that can form that relationship that cultural bond with the oem it is a partnership but it's a partnership where you hold 70 80 million dollars of cash and, and they're holding your aircraft and, it, and it's amazing the arguments you can get into it's you know, about what they're trying to deliver and what you you know and you holding this money and this check for them you know i've had big arguments about them with about carpets on an aircraft and i've brought in the the car mat out of my hire car to show them how well it was stitched and how well it was produced against what the Airbus were offering, and 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 um you know and I you know my hire car was probably worth you know twenty thousand euros and and now I'm buying a you know a seventy billion dollar aircraft, so you know you've got to have a good relationship with them where you can actually have those discussions and some and half battles with them and still be friends the next day. My recommendation is develop your own process sheets um, and reporting to the, your foul or final assembly customer managers. Make it easy for yourself. Make up some tip sheets and some snag sheets that you're going to find on every economy seat or every business class seat, on the, on the avionics fit on the, on the seat. Or on the electric seat motors, make up a check sheet for every galley, tick them off, go through them, see what you can, and what you can find, and then give those sheets to you know, your customer manager at the end of each inspection. Make sure you photograph those so you know they're being loaded into the Airbus world into the CIS for you acceptance. Um, the other recommendation I have is reach out to other airlines and lessors, learn from their experience and what they find. Each, each aircraft has different issues that people see. The more sets of eyes on it and you have a common goal. There's no competition between the lessors in, in who's got the better aircraft because they've usually got a lessee assigned. They're not white tail aircraft. So you, know, you, you work with the lessors, you have be- other lessors, you have beers with them, you have evenings. With, you know, one, you know, we used to have a Friday beer session. So um, where we used to all get together and tell tales about what we found and what was going on and what issues we are having over sealant here and the changing, you know, uh, the fasteners they're using and the manufacturer of the fasteners, you know, in this area. It's important that you pool your knowledge and have a good relationship with those people you're working with. The airlines do the same. It's, um, It's important that you You've those relationships with those of you that have a common goal of getting the best aircraft you can out of Airbus, or out of Boeing. The, just, I, I think it's important that you, you do accomplish the fan inspections. Yeah, yeah. If it's a series of aircraft, focus on the areas where the quality is an issue, where you have a recurring quality issue. You you can triage what you look at on the aircraft and in what areas and that. You'll know which assemblies and which mating areas and that are not a big problem. When you've got 3,000 fasteners to inspect around a fuselage mating, you know, and it's gonna take you five or six hours with a depth gauge to do the externals and internals and with a former gauge on the internals and that. Yes, it's gutty, it's what it do. And you'll start knowing where the machines have problems, where their issues are with over counter and over-pressing fasteners and that, and where the guys are. And you form a relationship with the guys actually doing the job, and they'll start telling you and ringing you where they're having issues and that, and where they've done rework rig- and gone oversized. So, you know, always accomplish the final inspections on your head-of-line aircraft. You'll start getting a pattern of where the issues are and it will change. Every aircraft will be different. I can't. I couldn't tell you where the A330 or A320 issues are now, because it depends on who the primary contractors are. It depends on whether they've had strikes. It depends on you know, holidays. It depends on the time of year. It depends on how much contract staff they're using. The issues will move around the aircraft, uh, you know, from year to year, and and from series to series. So, just you know, be be vigilant on your head of line aircraft if you've got a whole series of them coming off and, and, um, and then triage your inspections based on what you're finding. It's important you develop a good relationship with the OEM. The engine OEM is the most important, okay? A big part of your value of that airframe is gonna be the engines. 20 something percent of the value of a new aircraft delivery is gonna be in those engines. It's important that you get a good relationship with them for the aftercare and ongoing support. Your seat manufacturers, well, in my experience, seat manufacturers have been really, really overworked. They've really been rushing to manufacture seats and galleys, and, and the quality of some of those has failed and, and has fallen below the acceptable. You need to reach out to your local reps for the BFE and SFE that's being installed on your aircraft, understand how they fix things, what their issues are, so they can feed it back into the production line and into the quality of the manufacturing and get some closed loop working on what you're finding installed on your aircraft so you don't have it next time or it's less next time. Um, I think it's always important that do the wing fuselage mating presentations. We found most significant issues there. Um, And like I say, stabilizers were a big problem with us. Um, Wings were an issue and um, some of the fuselage mating was an issue. They're gutty and horrible inspections, but they, they need to be done. The engines and the cells are usually done off um, and then in the after the flight line, testing of the aircraft and the test flight, you'll get a chance to look at the aircraft again, and the engines again. It's most important you have a look at it after that engine's been installed. There's a lot that can happen from engine bay and manufacturer delivery of the engine into the OEM it's from that and then from that engine being installed on the actual final aircraft. You you need to have a look at the aircraft and look at all the usual things: wiring, wire locking, seals, normal mating, dents and damaged, scratches and gouges. It, you you need, to, need to be vigilant on the engines and the cells. Um, paint is an interesting one. Um, Again, it's a big aesthetic item, it's a big manual item, painting aircraft. And even if you have to drive up from Toulouse up to sunny Chateauroux, you know, um, know, you've got to do it. You only get four or five hours to look at an aircraft during its paint or after it's been painted. And it's important that you go heavy-handed and you get round and look at all the areas of the aircraft or paint uh, for thickness or orange peel for drips a lot of the OEMs are because of the new um, environmental regulations are tight on um, Paint base, so and the paint bays are under pressure So there's a big big push to get the aircraft through paint bays in the previous three or four years so paint quality is has been up and down. It's important you do your paint inspections. <laughs> airlines, airlines and lessees get very upset when uh, they take delivery of their new aircraft and they're having a big presentation on the ramp and acceptance of it. Champagne splashing everywhere, and then everyone's looking at paint trips. It's it, it's the most you know, it's the most obvious thing when chief executive officers of airlines start walking around and then start saying that doesn't look right and that doesn't look right. Cabin presentations, Airbus will always try and limit you, and Boeing will limit you to the number of people you can have inspecting the cabin interior and for how long. If you can, go more handed Seats and IFE are getting much more complicated and much more intensive to inspect them. So make sure you go heavy-handed to look at galleys and toilets and, and, uh, and the seats when you get the chance to do your cabin presentations. And I think, Lastly, resourcing. I think always plan for the worst case and, and hope for the best, but always be prepared that your aircraft delivery may be moved from one location to another. It's not so much with Boeing. It's more pain and it's much easier. But with Airbus, the deliveries could be in Hamburg or they could be in Toulouse. The aircraft could be manufactured in Toulouse, fly to Hamburg for the delivery totally depends on workload and where they are plan on the fact that you might have people driving for three or four hours to get to the chateau room and to do paint inspections and and then have to drive back plan that you might have local holidays and disruption to your workflow because of restrictions in access make sure you've got enough bodies on the aircraft to I think that's for me, I've rambled on, I hope that's, um, I've covered most of the issues and most of the items
1: there. Um, yeah, I think that was valid. fantastic Cliff, thanks very much for that. Um, really good overview of, of, of new aircraft deliveries, uh, especially the Airbus uh, type. Um, we'll just uh, open it up to the Q&A session now. Uh, we had a few questions in there uh, and comments, interesting comments from, from some of the participants. Uh, I just had one or two questions for Juan Pablo there, maybe if, if you uh, are able for them. Just in, in Latin America, um is there good availability of independent camos to to handle um aircraft that are coming back off of lease or repossessed or what what's the story with local camo? No, with the camos is very difficult. Uh actually you get to hire
0: European camos. It depends, of course, what your requirement is FAA or ASA most of the times, mm. but it's difficult to get camos here in the region. It's not, it's not. we are not used to have local camos. It's very yeah.
1: difficult. And MRO slots for aircraft, um, are they, I mean, it's good, there's a good selection obviously in Latin America, but uh, are, they, are they busy at the moment or are it yes. hard to find the slots?
0: Basically, if you see there are major players, uh, you can see Mexicana in Mexico City, you can see uh, Copesa in Costa Rica. You can see Man in Salvador. You can see <clears throat> the Avianca new MRO in Rio Negro in Colombia. And you can see a couple of more places I can mention in Brazil, mm-hmm. but all of the US aircraft are currently taking those slots, especially in Man and in Copesa. So it's very, and it's hard to get a slot in the slots and also it's harder to get the slots for re-delivery because what the MROs want uh, is basically to have like a short-term check, uh, perhaps a heavy check and that's all not a re-delivery check that is going to take more than average than a normal C-check of, of an aircraft so it's not that like kind of attractive to them to get this kind of slots for
1: redeliveries. Good. Um, I there was a comment there about checklists, um, we have uh, some checklists which we'll post in the APTN members area after this call and um, you can get access to them there. If, if, if anybody else has checklists, uh, please feel free to pass them on to us and we can share them with the members in the members area. It's just a private area where we have folders for different topics and the Zoom calls Um so you'll find them there. Uh, important places to focus on on um, uh, re-deliveries. I just mentioned there that we had a call, a zoom call 14 on aging aircraft and a speaker from AirSail uh, pointed out some of the areas that, that are particularly important uh, when you're expecting older aircraft so that might be a good reference point there. Um, if there are no other questions, I, I, there's a couple of comments there from uh, Murray Pine, one of our regular participants about um, Uh, some issues with 767 new deliveries which you can read in the the group chat and from Mario Miguel there about uh, um, uh, his experience as well with with, with the Airbus um, uh, pilot program. So um, I'm going to um, just move along quickly and try and get done before the hours mark. Alex is going to just share a couple of slides with us on APTN developments. Perfect. Dan. Thank you. And
3: just thanks again, um, Cliff and Juan Pablo some fantastic presentations there. Um, I see a lot of new faces today, so I'm just going to introduce myself. Um, my name is Alex O'Brien. I'm the Head of Business Origination here at APTN. Um, I've just graduated from Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University uh, in Florida and I am starting a Masters in Aviation Finance in Smurfit in UCD this coming September. So I'm just going to give a quick update um, on Aptm in general and also our new update on um, PII. So um, like always, um, I'm, I start with the membership growth. We've had fantastic membership growth in June and July, um, really surpassed what um, we thought we'd be reaching. and um, We've almost hit 500 members now on the platform and we're hoping by the 1st of August, we'll have 500. So it reaches our halfway mark um, for our goal for 2020 to reach a thousand platform members. And we have just over 1,800 members on the APTN LinkedIn hub, which um, I'll I'll, um, include shortly that you can go ahead and follow. Uh, It's brilliant for up-to-date information on APTN. So, we have recently teamed up with ITIC and who um, offer professional indemnity insurance. Um, for those of you who have um, signed up for the platform, you'll see that there's an option um, when you sign up asking if you have professional indemnity insurance or not. So this is insurance for aircraft technical professionals and ITIC are offering a 20% discount for members for APTN uh, for the year. So i um, just finishing off uh, just these APT and WhatsApp regional groups that we always mention. Um, if you have any uh, queries about joining them, I usually send them an email once you have um, joined the platform. I'll probably be sending out another one just because we've had such a growth in the last uh, month. And um, these WhatsApp groups are fantastic for people asking questions in and around their local countries um, about aircraft inspections, engines for sale. Um, it's just lots of different um, communication that's available. And so if you have any interest in joining these WhatsApp groups, uh, you have to be an APTN member, so you can sign up for the platform, but uh, they're a fantastic opportunity just to get to know uh, fellow members in the area. And finally, um, this is my contact information. And if you have any regards on if you want any presentations from the um, Webinar or if you have any questions about the um, PII or the WhatsApp groups, my email and WhatsApp are there. We also have Instagram and Twitter. If you want to go ahead and follow them, they'll also give um, daily updates similar to the uh,
1: LinkedIn profile. Thanks, Alex, for that. Uh, just a couple of comments on the the PII uh, product uh, that's available. Um, just to give you an example of what twenty percent discounts um, means, I think the annual subscription for um, uh, the insurance product uh, um, is around a thousand euros per one million uh, euros of coverage. Uh, so 20% discount represents about 200 euros saving per annum. But on top of that, because it's a mutual insurance um, uh, company, yeah, in the last, I think 10 years, they have been giving dividends back to their members, which, which would be you if you have a, a policy with them. So you'll actually, you could potentially have up to 500 euros uh, 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 reduction on a, an annual policy. So it's definitely worth while checking. Again, the presentations from ITIC are in the members area of APTN if you want more details and the, the application forms for the insurance product are also in there if you want to look at it further. Um, so that's, that's just a few comments on that. The last thing, I just want to share one screen with you, kind of in line with what, what um, Alex was telling you there about the APTN membership. So uh, just one second, I can find it here. We have just a summary of the demographics of APTN and uh, here you can see that we have uh, just, as as Alex mentioned, just under 500 uh, members of the platform and you can see there the membership by country uh, and uh, obviously Ireland's uh, number one on the list, Turkey, India, UK, Lithuania, all the way down to Venezuela, Vietnam and we have 67 countries currently represented and we're trying to grow that uh, Uh, as Alex mentioned, up to a thousand members by the end of this year. The types of expertise that the members have, you can see there, ranges from tech records, structures, engines, all the way down to composite, uh, ferry flight, and even some pilots on board as members as well, believe it or not. Uh, The aircraft types that are covered, Airbus Boeing is uh, self-evident, but then there's lots of other aircraft that are covered with membership skills. Uh, down to you know um, smaller ones and and unusual ones like Antonov, Fairchild, Lett. Uh, engine types covered across the membership. Um, uh, it's, uh, uh, it's, uh, GE, CFM is quite obvious. Pratt and Whitney, IAE, Rolls Royce, and then we have APU experts in there as well. So we have 311 uh, single members, a- ATP basic members 116, and enterprise membership is also growing currently uh, around the 40 mark. So that's kind of a an indication of the, the demographics of APTN currently, and it's growing. So on that note, I think uh, we're just at the one o'clock mark, we just a little over us. Thank you again for joining today. This is the last uh, Zoom call just for for the moment, and uh, we'll take a break for the month of August, and we'll be back to you again in September uh, with more Zoom calls and maybe some workshops in Dublin and elsewhere uh, in September as well, socially distant workshops, of course. So. On that note, thanks for joining and the regular participants. Uh, thanks for being on board all these weeks. And I hope we brought you some interesting technical presentations. And, and, and um, uh, we'll hope to continue that again coming September again. Thanks for joining. Thanks, Alan. All right.
3: Thank you, Alan. You thanks,
1: Alan. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you, Alan.